We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, Chargers fans, this is the Guilty as Charged podcast, where we discuss all things related to the Los Angeles Chargers. We are available on all podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or review. We do really appreciate the positive feedback. Make sure and follow us on social media, including our Patreon account, where as little as $1 gains you access to cool things like jersey giveaways and film breakdowns. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy the show. Hey guys, what is up? Welcome into the Guilty as Charged podcast. I'm your host, Steven. Joining me today, as always, are Alex and Tyler. Alex, we'll start with you, man. How you doing? I'm um, doing pretty good. Uh, Austin Eckler gave us a little signal boost in an interview I never thought would happen, uh, so that was fun. But uh, yeah, no, good as always. Yeah, it, I have to laugh, though, because he told us, he's like, I'm not a rah-rah guy. And then he went to the <laughs> stadium literally the next day, and it was like, let's go, like super rah-rah, which was, I had to laugh at that. It was, it was funny. Um, Tyler, you got to go see SoFi Stadium yesterday, man. So how are you doing today, and, and what was that experience like? Uh, first of all, thanks a lot for the invite to the interview. Uh, as far as the stadium goes, <laughs> that's fine. Um, it was everything it's advertised to be. You know, I'm fortunate to have season tickets at my third stadium with my dad now. And, you know, before we were just able to go tour the store and a little bit of the outside, but being able to walk up to the railing and then down to our seats, it's something else. It's really like, it's like looking at the Coliseum in Rome. You know, it's something out of a painting and the the enormity of it is unfathomable. If I'm sitting at my seat and looking up at the, at the ceiling, it's, it's crazy how big this thing is. So, you know, anyone who has, who's hesitating to buy tickets or season tickets or whatever, get on it because you're like the best venue in the country watching, you know, the, the greatest sport in America. So, you know, watching Herbert Mahomes exchange 300-yard games for the next 10, 15 years, it's going to be pretty special. It is. It's going to be a lot of fun for, for everyone involved. I'll get there one time. I'll do it once, just, you know, check it off the bucket list. But, uh, you know, there are some of you who are, you know, living in, in the Bay Area or, you know, I, I saw there's, I think, Drew Powder, Powder Blue Drew lives in Oregon and still has season tickets. Like, that is – that's a next level dedication that I frankly will uh, <laughs> never reach, but that's, that's great for you guys. <laughs> and I respect that a lot. So um, like we did release the uh, video version of our interview with Austin Eckler. If you have not checked that out and you're, you are watching us on YouTube, please go and do that. 
Um, I also did an interview with Joe DeLeon, who covers the FCS and the Giants for Believe, uh, the Believe Network. And so those, the audio version of those interviews is going to happen right after this. And then, uh, as always, the videos are going to be separate. So please go check out that interview with Joe DeLeon. Talked about Spencer Brown. We talked about uh, Robert Rochelle. And we also talked about what kind of is going on with the Giants. Obviously, they pick ahead of the Chargers. So a lot of great information there. All right, guys, so go check those out, and then we will be right back. All right, guys, welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. We are so happy to be joined by Chargers running back Austin Eckler. Austin, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, boys. Looking forward to it. Yeah, man, we are, we are super excited to have this on here. And I think you've, got, you've been a very busy man this offseason. You've got a lot of things going on. Um, one of the things that I can't wait to see for you uh, is kind of your gridiron gaming group. You're going to do a, a live stream the day of the draft. Why don't you tell people how they can find that and what kind of things you got going on for the Gridiron Gaming Group next week? Yeah, uh, Gridiron Gaming Group is a company that I started um, basically from seeing the value of streaming online and really connecting with your community. Um, and I saw value when I was doing that just by myself, and I was like, I want to help other people do this as well. And so I started reaching out to other teammates that were streaming, and we started Gridiron Gaming Group. Um, and so now we're up to like 10 athletes, I believe, and not just football players either. Uh, like we have Connor Daly, he's an IndyCar driver. Alicia Gray, she plays in the WNBA. Um, Tommy Canley plays for the Dodgers uh, MLB. And so we're just trying to help basically uh, at this point athletes connect um, with their community because we, we have a, a big platform as athletes, but, you know, it's, there's always separation as far as, oh, you're just an athlete. It was like, well, how do I prove that I'm something else? And so this is a way that we're able to do that through these big social platforms and live streaming. And a way we like to do it even further is doing these bigger events. For instance, I did my first event with Super Bowl. Uh, we just like I did with six of us at the time. That's how many we had. Um, we just did a big uh, competition where we compete where for prizes for our own uh, communities. Um, and it was just a really good social event. So now we're going to do another one off of the NFL draft. Um, and so if you watch the NFL draft uh, at all, especially in the first round, it's all very technical. People were watching, like, old highlights. If you watch it on ESPN, like, watching college yeah. stats, stuff like that. And so uh, we're going to do it a little bit different. We're going to give a different view and experience as far as more of a laid-back social uh, type of experience, still, still around football. Um, so we're going to have basically all 32 teams uh, represented – uh, well, some teams actually don't have a first-round pick, but all the teams that do, <laughs> they will be represented by someone from the team or someone that's a really big fan or influencer that's a fan of the team. Um, so you'll be able to see kind of side-by-side uh, side with someone that's on the team or uh, someone in that space and see what's going on in their life and what they think about the pick. Um, and just it's just a, a play on the same thing, but just from a different perspective. And so really looking forward to that. You can find that. It's going to be on Twitch. Uh, it's twitch.tv forward slash Austin Eckler on uh, the 29th. I believe it starts at 5 p.m. Pacific time, just during the first round. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I think the you know there's been this kind of monopoly on the NFL draft with ESPN, but I love the way that other people are getting in on, in on this action, and this sounds like a very interesting and interactive process that other fans can tune in and so if you guys want to leave our stream to join austin's stream we will not <laughs> we will not go bad against you guys hey it's just a one-time thing so uh you guys streaming too on twitch or what like when you, where are you streaming at we're you... streaming on youtube but yeah oh, okay you guys got well you can open you can open both browsers and you got the youtube there you, you go the there you there go, you go. let's go <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to ask you about uh, Brandon Staley, you know, your new coach. I'm sure he's uh, reached out to you and all the other players. 
what have sort of been your impressions of him so far? I know it's still early in the process and there hasn't been obviously a lot of on-field stuff, um, but what have been your impressions so far? Yeah, we've actually had a, a full week of meetings now. Um, so we've been with the coaches because they're starting in our, our virtual off-season um, for this first month anyway. Um, but, yeah, so we've been around the coaches. Coach Staley, he's he's implementing himself as far as what he's about, his values, Um about football and then also just about life as well because you know that's what we that's where we live football is a small part of life so I think it's very important I'm really appreciative of him you know expressing how he feels about us as people uh, more than just football players and you know he he sets his boundaries like hey this is what I like this is what I do I'm gonna be a straight shooter and I love that from him and just because that's how we need it. That's how we need it here. We don't beat around the bush. Tell me how it is. Let's build a relationship like that, right? Especially when we have this, like, business relationship because um, then people tend to, you know, be swayed a different way, and that's not really what's going on. Um, so I like that he's a straight shooter. He comes in. He implements himself. He talks to people. He calls people out. Like, I like that because he's getting that, that interaction between me and him. And I'm like, okay, like, I, I trust this guy. Like, he, he's testing me. He knows what he's talking about. Um and so, yeah, I've been just growing a relationship with all the rest of the guys, and uh, and the coach has been going well as well. That's great stuff, man. I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on, you know, how last year the COVID offseason really is going to impact things going forward. Obviously, there's been a lot of uh, players union reps for certain teams. I think it's up to, like, nine or eight teams uh, that have kind of said, like, we're – advising our players to, to opt into like a virtual off season. Do you think the NFL is, is heading towards, you know, a major change in that regard? And where do you kind of land on like virtual off season, virtual mini camp versus being in person in the facility? I kind of have two perspectives on it, um, honestly, because COVID is still a real, you know, thing that's Absolutely. going on in the world. Right. Um, so that's kind of what brought attention to, Hey, like, we can't go into the facility uh, last year, right? And we had all virtual off season. And then this year it's even more uh, spreading even more often and more frequent than it was last year during this time. And so that's kind of why we're saying, look, like the, the problems that persist that persisted in the past are still here. Um, so we just right. want to protect ourselves and make, let everyone stay away from each other. Um, but then you go through the season last year, it kind of opened my eyes to just a new way of thinking about my training um, just coming in, it's like when when we have OTAs and you know mini camp, you know, I have been trained and just like especially through college, like oh I need to you know build up and be peaking around OTAs mini camp so I can you know perform and show like oh this is why I deserve to be here. But it's like after going through a few seasons, like that's why I see people get burnt out really quick because they start peaking in the summer and the spring. And then they have to sustain that all the way until right. season starts, right? But hey, what if I peak in spring train or in fall camp, right? Right when the season's beginning, and then my body feels way better going in. It can it can last a little bit longer, right? And so that's what I see in the training, where it's benefiting the system training as well. Um, and I think that we just have had this old school way where, like in college, it starts from college. Like college has their spring training, right? It was like, do they need that? Probably not, but it's like well, they have guys just sitting around on campus doing nothing, so they want to make sure they're in there grinding and in college they work you into the ground because they have way more control on you. It's like that's not how it has to be. Like for your body, it's probably not the best way. And so, um, you know, COVID is is the main reason as far as why we just want to stay away from each other right now just because getting 90 guys in one area is just like never a good time during COVID, right? right? That's why you see all these, you know, bands as far as how many people you could have working out and stuff like that. 
Uh, and just the practicality of it too. Like we can only have 10 people working out at the same time. So if we have wow. everyone there, like it's just, like, what are we doing? Like you got to go through this time, this time, this time. Like the, the organization is just not practical. And then there's not enough meeting space in the building, so we have to stay in our cars. And so it's like, what what are we doing here? Like what are we doing? For like a 45-minute like run around on the field, we're doing all this stuff. And so um, there's a lot of reasons that play into it why we just want to stay virtual. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> So I also, you know, Google what's the latest COVID news and all that. Uh, but I've also been Googling what is an NFT uh, because I'm still trying <laughs> to understand exactly what it is. But you do have an NFT collection, and I know you want to talk about it. So give us a little bit of details on that. So I don't have a necessarily collection, but I have a limited edition that's going to be dropping soon. Um, I'm going to have 30 um, NFTs dropping soon. Uh, there are three of them. There's three different types, but there's 10 of each. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about it. Basically it's, if you don't know what NFT is non-fungible token. And if you're still like, what the heck does that mean? It's, it's basically <laughs> think of it as like digital artwork. Um, so I'm not going to share what mine are because it drops on uh, Monday, which I believe is the 26th. Um, I think that's right. Um, but yeah, so mine, you have to check them out there. Come follow me on Instagram so you can uh, get a sneak peek at those. Uh, or do some research to see if you're actually even interested in it. But basically, for me, it's like, like, why does any like piece of artwork have value? It's because people give it value. So right. I'm trying to create an NFT. Um, it's based on things in my life that I am involved with as far as lifting and football um, that are really dear and true to my heart. And I've just made like a, basically an artwork um, of those. And uh, one's like a little clip, and then two are just pictures that have our edits on them that kind of move around. Um, and the, those are my two, my three NFTs that are coming out. Uh, I'm super excited about them just because I've never done anything like this and the world is becoming more digital um, every day as we see more cryptos coming on and now oh, yeah. NFTs coming into space. So um, I have no idea where it's going to go. I have no idea what the <laughs> heck it is, but I just know I'm really excited about having some type of digital artwork out there for people to own. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to drop them on Monday. That's super interesting, man. You mentioned, you know, the the cryptocurrency. Everybody kind of made fun of Russell Okung for getting paid in Bitcoin, but he kind of looks like a, a smart man yeah. right now. With this man, company. so Russell Okung was on my team, right oh, before yeah. he before he uh, he left um, and then started getting paid in Bitcoin. But he used to have conventions. He would go up to LA, be like, "Hey, man, come to my convention. I'm gonna educate. I'm educating people on Bitcoin." What the heck is this guy talking about? <laughs> and this was before he was even getting paid. He's already had a bunch of money in Bitcoin, and this man's been playing a long time, so he's got a substantial amount of money in Bitcoin. And I'm just like, man, you're crazy, man. Like, I saw it go to 20000 now it's at 3000 You're crazy. And uh, sure enough, man, because now this thing's at sixty k, and I'm just like, damn, should have gone to those conventions. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Oh. I love that so much. Obviously, that's that's a great thing. Uh, you mentioned working out. That's obviously something that you've been passionate about. I know a few months ago or you kind of put out a challenge to some other NFL players or, or other people about, you know, challenging you in the weight room and to see if you really are the strongest pound-for-pound pound player in the league. Have you gotten any requests there? Has anybody Man, stepped up to the plate? The only one who stepped up to the plate is my little brother. My little brother actually <laughs> challenged me. Okay. And so no one has challenged me, man. I was like, did this not get enough exposure or what? <laughs> it was the 405 squat challenge. You just do 405 10 times. That's the challenge. And if you can beat, you do as many as you can. I did 13. And if you can beat me, then bang, you beat me in my challenge. But literally, I had, it was tagged in zero um, 
zero other posts. So, hey, I guess as of now, I'm still keeping my crown. So, <laughs> I don't know if our kind of viewers are going to be the ones who are going to yeah. challenge you. 405 squad hey, challenge. that's the thing. But look, if they know someone that's like, oh, bodybuilder status, like, shoot, yeah. tag them. Like, I want to be somebody, <laughs> you know, somebody started up. But, yeah, my little brother actually uh, – he challenged me to a pull-up contest. And so it's with a 45-pound plate. I'm just going to use a weight and just as many pull-ups as you can. And so I'm going to be posting that today on Instagram. I'll do like a side-by-side so people can see who won. Um, but, yeah, my little brother and I, he plays in Wyoming. We'll start some uh, start some uh, uh, workout challenges. Looking I wanted to, to talk to you uh, about Justin Herbert uh, and sort of how that experience went last year. Obviously, wins Offensive Rookie of the Year. What was a moment, whether it was training camp, in a game, after the season, where you sort of knew this guy is a little bit different than your average rookie quarterback? Uh, I think it was, you know, probably pretty close to, like, second or third game in when he was just making plays with his arm, running, just doing things that, you know, were just causing, like, excitement in our offense as far as throwing the ball downfield, you know, running people over on the sideline. Like, this man – like, in training camp, it's hard to really tell because there's no, like – there's no one that's going to tackle you. Like, no one's coming at – like, people are coming at you, but everyone's, like, kind of lays off, right, protect our own own players. Um, So you're not really sure. Like, I can see, like, his arm talent, and he's, you know, he's struggling through just all the rookie things as far as, you know, the the knowledge of the game, the speed of the game, the adjustments, the offense, the pressure. And so he's going through that like every rookie does. Um, And, you know, finally gets thrown into a game and gets into a situation where, okay, now it is live. And now I think it almost helps him to calm down. Like he's like, okay, now I'm just – now, okay, I'm just playing football. This is still just football, even though it's at the highest level. Um, Yeah, and then you just continue just to continue and get better. And the mental game uh, just became easier for him. I saw that because I – blew on my hamstring right so I missed like eight weeks and then when I came back like it seemed like it was a different person as far as his mental game um as far as now he's understanding the offense understands the checks understands the protection um for the for blitzes and things like that and understands coverages and so he's a really smart guy really loves the game football really loves hanging out with the guys and so I love his personality uh, and as long as we keep him healthy man we keep him standing up he's gonna have uh, another great year this year I'm glad you mentioned his personality because, you know, I don't know if you guys were aware of, aware of like, draft narratives that were happening and, and if they're, like, I don't know how much you guys pay attention to that, but people were, like, questioning his ability to lead a locker room and and if he was, like, a robot. And then I, I personally, like, I never bought into I went to the University of Utah, and so obviously Oregon and Utah played each other in the Pac-12 championship game. And then he goes down to the Senior Bowl, and he's, like, super good friends now with Terrell Burgess and all these other players from Utah. So for me, I was like, I don't buy this. Were you guys aware of any, like, draft narratives about him? Here's the thing, man. Like, there's, like, this, I don't know, like, the stereotype that, like, oh, all quarterbacks have to be, like, the leader of the team. Like, I feel like that's a spot that's looked at as a leader because you have so much impact on the offense and, like, a lot of leaders are quarterbacks. But that's not necessarily – like, we have so many leaders on a team in the NFL. Like, we, we don't rely – like, Justin, we need you to lead us. Like, we have so many leaders on the offense. Um, as far as just people that are just going to motivate you. And, like, what, what does a leader do? Like, it doesn't mean he's not, like, just talking about routes with his receivers, but a leader is something that's going to motivate you and give you a, a more of a reason to want to do better for the team, for yourself. Like, that's what a leader does, right? And so, like, I don't need that specifically from my quarterback. I don't need it. I could just, it could be from anyone, yeah. you know? It could be from the long snapper, right, who has one job. Like, it doesn't matter. It's just that type of personality. It's that type of person. Um, and so as – 
the quarterback being the leader, that to me that's that's BS because I don't need that to come from any specific position, right? It comes from a certain personality, certain person type. And Justin, you know, he's he's gained more confidence, and you know, he's he's when you gain confidence, you know, then you're like, okay, now I can I'll say what's on my mind a little bit more. Um, not necessarily like he would always talk scheme, anything scheme like. Football, he's great. But now it's like, okay, this is how I feel about, you know, the coaching. This is how I feel about how the way we're working, like getting into that space, that leadership role. And that, that'll come with time as well. Like this is a new space for a lot of people, and people just come in with different comfortability levels. Like Derwin James, for instance, he came in his rookie year, and he's just – he's yelling, he's talking, he's saying <laughs> everything on his mind, right? We're all different. You know, I came in, I was a little quieter. Now I'm starting to, you know, get my voice and really just because I, I feel like I earned my place. And now I feel like, you know, I've gone through a lot of stuff as far as coming from, you know, undrafted. And so now I feel like I can help educate other people. And so, like, I'm not a big rah-rah guy. I'm definitely going to have energy. Um, I'm going to tell you how I feel that you're doing. And I want you to tell you how I feel that or how you feel that I'm doing. Right. But it's like it's not all about the positions. Right. It's just about the people. I want to ask you one more question. You mentioned leadership. Um, the Chargers actually have had a lot of captains or people who were previously captains leave this offseason. Uh, Melvin Ingram was a captain, Casey Hayward, Mike Pouncey. Um, how do you think that, that leadership void kind of gets filled? And are you a guy who sees yourself and goes, I want to be a captain? Um, I think it gets, it gets filled naturally. It gets filled naturally. And the mm-hmm. thing is that that might be a good or a bad thing, right? You, you can't – like every year you just can't expect to have good leaders. There's good leaders as bad leaders. Right. Um, what I mean by that is like there's leaders that just are good at football, but that don't necessarily help other people give them another motivation to want to play. Like they're just like good at football. So people respect them. I wouldn't say that's a great leader. I wouldn't say you're, you're not a good leader. It's just like that's not leadership quality. Being good at what you do is not leadership. It's good. Like lead right. by example. Sure. Maybe for doing good habits, stuff like that. But as far as um, like talking to me, like physically, like getting in my head and helping me, that is different. But um. Uh, you know, it, it depends on the team coming in and depends. I feel like the head coach, you know, um, cause what the head coach is, is preaching what they're about. I feel like that's going to resonate through the team and, you know, we're going to echo what the head coach is trying to get, you know, established in this team. And here's the thing. It's like, I don't consider myself like a captain. I don't know. That, that, that's not for me <laughs> to decide. I don't, right. I, I'm not really worried about it. Right. Like for some people, it might mean a lot to them. To me, I don't, I'm could care less. I'm a captain. Now. I'm still going to speak how I feel and I'm going to you know, be the person that I am. And, uh, you know, good leaders, you know, hopefully we have them. I really hope with our new guys that we brought in that there's some good leaders in there. And I've seen that um, uh, from a couple, you know, O'Day, um, one of our old linemen and specifically. And so uh, we'll see. It's a roll of the dice, right? Like uh, we don't know. It's a, it's a new chemistry that we have to build together. Yeah, I love that answer, man. And so we'll kind of get you out of here on this one. Obviously, last year you had your own inju- your own issues with uh, some injuries. Justin Jackson had some issues with his own injuries. Joshua Kelly kind of went through the rookie struggle. What do you think the kind of mindset for this running back room is for 2021, and what can we kind of expect to see out of the three of you, maybe a fourth one through the draft? Yeah, man, for me, as far as what I'm trying to implement – like, I came in, I actually told the running back group, I was like, you guys, I'm, regardless of what happens with you guys, I'm going to come in, I'm going to prove why Austin Eckler should be on this team. And that's not all I'm going to, that's what I'm doing at the, as a minimum. And then also, I'm, I, I need you guys. Like, I need all of you guys. I'm going to be pushing. I told you, I'm going to bring you guys with me. I'm going to be pushing you to the max because I already got paid. Like, I'm here for, you know, a couple more years. <laughs> or if they cut me, they still owe me money, right? So that's for me. <laughs> 
it's not about money anymore. Me, I'm like, let's go. Like, I need you guys to help, you know, us win games. And if, for me to do that, like, I need you to play well, right? So I'm trying to give these guys knowledge. I'm trying to give them energy. I'm trying to give them more of a, of a reason to want to play, not just for themselves, but for their, their social life, for the opportunities that the NFL provides if you continue to stay in it, and just for, you know, your family in the future. Like, there's just so many new opportunities that can come if you're playing well in the NFL just because the platform is so big. And so I'm hey. – I'm trying to just really motivate and really just educate all the guys and how big and how rare this opportunity is in the NFL platform because it's bigger than football. It's way more than football. The skills that you learn while you're in the NFL, the connections that you make will go beyond the league, beyond your playing time. Like you play, you're going to be living hopefully a lot longer than you're playing. And so it's like, well, you're here. You might as well make the most out of it. And what does that mean? Well, that means you play as hard as you can and you put in the work to try to make as much money and get as much out of the NFL as I, uh, sorry, I'm getting tied here. I, <laughs> <laughs> I got so much coming in my head. Um, no, when I was a rookie, someone told me, to, like, get more out of the NFL than it gets out of you. And that just, that sits with me. I'm like, yes, like, yes, because the NFL is going to beat your body down. Yeah. Right. And the thing is, it's going to be mentally and physically. And so, okay, how can I get back? And so that's why during this offseason, that's why I've been going crazy with the podcast, with all the content, with all the connections, with the NTFs, with, like, I have a lamp company. Like, we make lamps and stuff. Like, I got a bunch of different stuff. My foundation, Gridiron Gaming Group, like, I am trying to just connect in all the things that I'm passionate about, right? And so I've been able to do that because I've been playing well. That's where it starts. Yeah. So that's why I'm trying to bring those guys with me. And I'll uh, leave it at that. Awesome, man. I love that. We we can't thank you enough for being able to join us. Um, this has been an awesome experience for us being able to chat with you. Um, and we can't wait to see, you know, what this season holds for you specifically and obviously for the Chargers. And, you know, more than anything else, we just hope you stay healthy, hope you're able to stay on the field and, and reach all the goals that you're able to have. So, Austin, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and we really appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, boys. You guys have a good one. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. I'm happy to be joined now by Joe DeLeon, who is the host of the Big Blue Review, as well as covering the FCS and the NFL Draft. You wear a lot of hats, man, so I'm happy to have you on here. How are you doing today? I'm excited. We're getting so close to the NFL Draft, and as I said before we started recording, any excuse for me to talk FCS football prospects as well as the NFL Draft, I'm always game for it. 
I am as well. I, I couldn't agree more there. So uh, we did come in contact through uh, the guys over at Believe, and so you do cover the FCS through Believe, and that's kind of where we're going to focus today. Um, but we are going to talk a little bit about the Giants because, you know, they do sit in front of the Chargers, and so I think this is a, is a valuable conversation uh, for our listeners to have. Uh, to put it bluntly, man, like what is David Gettleman going to do next week? I think there's so much curiosity. Um, there's the report today that they might consider trading back. So what what do you think the Giants should do, and what do you think they will do next week? See, the, those are two very, very different things because what <laughs> I think that they should do is vastly different than whatever the heck Dave Gettleman is going to end up doing. He seems to find ways to creatively – uh, confuse the fan base and people that follow the team by picking players that are completely unexpected. For me, I, I really want Micah Parsons. I think Micah Parsons would be the perfect final piece for the defense. He can play multiple roles in Patrick Graham's D, which loves to use versatile players. He can play off-ball linebacker. He also has experience as an edge. He can come off the edge. Fantastic athlete. They just need one more linebacker, and I think that defense can go from being really good last year to being very elite with some of the additions that they had in free agency. In terms of what they're probably going to do, knowing Dave Gettleman and his affinity for drafting random players that simply fit the need that he, he, he wants to tackle, I could see him going like Aziz Ojolari from Georgia at 11, which would be pretty crazy if Micah Parsons is gone, uh, maybe Gregory Rousseau. But I think the, the more realistic thing that's going to happen he probably has fallen in love with one of these interior offensive linemen. We know Dave Gettleman is obsessed with hog mollies, as he puts it, the big, meaty guys that play yeah. in the interior. There's a reason why he drafted Dexter Lawrence a couple years ago. So Rashawn Slater or Elijah Vera Tucker, I think, make a ton of sense uh, to bump inside and play guard, which ultimately does make things complicated for the Chargers because – they are in desperate need of some offensive yeah. linemen. And I keep hearing Rashawn Slater, Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, Christian Darrisaw, Tevin Jenkins. Those are a lot of names that you keep hearing for the Chargers. So if, right. if the Giants end up taking Vera Tucker or Slater, that pulls one talented player off the board. Yeah, you know, I've kind of approached this draft all along, just kind of assuming that Rashawn Slater is not going to be there. I think, obviously, that would be a home run scenario for the Chargers, right? But you know, and there a lot of I've gotten a lot of pushback from Chargers fans saying like, well, the Giants have Andrew Thomas, they don't need a left tackle, they have Matt, they drafted Matt Pert, they have Nate Solder, and it's like, well, Rayshon Slater is absolutely a tackle prospect in my mind, but he's been training with Duke Mannyweather at all five positions for a year. He played guard his first year at Northwestern, so you know the Giants could take him, start him at one of the guard spots, and then. You know, if Matt Pert doesn't work out or Nate Solder doesn't work out, then you can kick him out to right tackle. So, I mean, the same for the same reasons that Nate that Rayshon Slater would be a great pick for the Chargers, he would be a great pick for the Giants as well, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and that's why I'm a fan of Rashawn Slater because the Giants' offensive line right now is a little bit unproven. We don't really know for a fact if this is going to be the group, if it is going to be Andrew Thomas, Matt Parrott, and then the interior spots are even more of a question mark. You did right. have a surprising performance from Nick Gates at center, but Shane Lemieux, Will Hernandez, I'll start one of them, but not both. They need to address that. And, and Slater has the ability to bounce around, play multiple spots. Um, I think that he would start and play at a high level immediately at guard. 
And if they can't get him, Vera Tucker also, again, provides a, a similar capability to play multiple positions. Yeah, I love Elijah Vera Tucker, man. I, I think he would be – I wish he would just, like, you know, had – just like an inch longer of arms, man, because I think, <laughs> you know, I think he would be a fantastic pick for the Chargers, but I know that they would view him as a guard. So, obviously, the, the Giants made a, a lot of moves in the offseason in free agency with Adoree Jackson, Kenny, Dahl, Kenny Galladay. Do you think that Kenny Galladay, with the addition of Kenny Dahl, Galladay, that they have done enough to maybe warrant passing on a Devontae Smith or a Jalen Waddell if they are there at 11? Uh, yeah, I think – it makes things easier for them to not really feel the need to maybe go after a receiver and then maybe worry about some other positions of need. But at the same time, this is Dave Gettleman. If he's in love with Devontae Smith, where there is some speculation that he really does like him and he's probably going to be the third receiver available after Waddle and Chase, I could see him pulling the trigger. And it doesn't hurt to have too many offensive weapons. But in the case of protecting Daniel Jones – you do need to protect him so he can actually throw to those weapons. But one more talented receiver, I, I don't think that's out of the equation. It's funny how similar these conversations are, or this conversation is, to the ones that we are having on our show <laughs> about the Chargers situation. Um, so, you know, we, we're here to talk about the FCS prospects as well. I think this is a fascinating situation for these guys this particular year because obviously they have Trey Lance and I think Dylan Merdunes potentially could sneak into the first round. We'll talk about both of those guys. Um, where do you see Trey Lance ending up and, and, and kind of go through, you know, your perception of him as a player? I, I might end up being completely wrong here, but I, I'm going to come out and say that I do not buy any of the hype that people are saying that Mac Jones is going to be that third overall pick. I, I understand that some people feel that it's gotten to a point where it's circulated so much that it might be the case, but it's smokescreen season, and understandably, yeah. Kyle Shanahan hasn't been the best at hiding who he's wanted <laughs> to pick. I don't really think that that's the case here. You, you convince a bunch of other teams that they're going Mac Jones, it causes some confusion. Trey Lance, for me, or Justin Fields makes the most sense for the San Francisco 49ers, but I would argue Trey Lance, I think, is even better for them situationally. Jimmy Garoppolo is probably going to stick around for one more season. You keep him there for one more year. And then after that, Trey Lance has the time to develop and get ready, and he can play the following season. Now, I'm not comparing Trey Lance in terms of his play style and his potential to Patrick Mahomes, but I think in terms of his ceiling and his ability to play right now is very similar to Patrick Mahomes because you put Trey Lance out there right now, he's probably not going to do very well, and you're going to be very, very disappointed because he's played so few games. Give him the time to get ready. He has a huge arm. He's a great athlete. He's an aggressive runner. You let him get settled into an NFL offense after a full season with a team, he can take over right away after you get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. So, again, similar to the Chiefs, how they traded away Alex Smith, started Patrick Mahomes, and we know how that went. I think there's a lot of potential for that with Trey Lance. And if that doesn't happen, he doesn't end up with the 49ers. The Broncos, I think, are definitely in play there. Um, I, I was hearing from speaking to the host of the Believe in Panthers show saying that they're not completely out on drafting a quarterback, even though they traded for Sam Darnold. Um, that ultimately could be a smokescreen. But someone's going to move up to get Trey Lance. Yeah. No one's just going to let him slide out of the top ten. Somebody is going to go after him because whoever's the most needy quarterback team right now is not going to – there's going to be plenty of them. There's going to be a couple of them 
they're going to all be fighting to get in a position to draft him. Yeah, I think for him individually, right, I think, you know, those situations, San Francisco, Atlanta are, are fantastic because he wouldn't have to play right away. I I felt like this for a while, you know, you watch him play. I, I see like a little Cam Newton in there as well. And so I kind of wonder, you know, if he does fall past five, six, seven, do the Patriots trade up and, and go get their, you know, their finally their, their franchise quarterback after I say finally, like, Tom Brady wasn't there just two years ago. Um, But I I feel like the Patriots could be a sneaky trade-up partner for them as well, or for him, rather. Yeah, and that's all dependent on, you know, are they maybe interested in Mac Jones? Are they the team that could be the good pairing? If if Mac Jones is gone by then, I could very well see that happening. That's another situation where sits behind Cam Newton. Cam Newton's probably less talented right now and going to have less of an impact than Jimmy Garoppolo can have. But similar play styles uh, between Trey Lance and Cam Newton, big quarterbacks who are really good at running the football, run the ball aggressively. He could learn a thing or two from Cam Newton. Absolutely. And it's going to be such a, a fascinating storyline to watch. So let's get to his teammate now, Dylan Radunes. I am a big, big fan of Dylan Radunes. Um There's been some concerns, I guess, from what I've seen online about just his, his lack of size. He's only listed at like 304, 305. Um, what do you, what do you make of Dylan Radunz's game overall? And, you know, what kind of player do you think teams are getting and where do you think he should go? Yeah, he's a super lean guy talking about that, that size and seeing him weighing in at his pro day, he's almost built like a tight end. And I would argue that's actually a good thing. I wouldn't really be concerned about a guy being lean and well-built when you have an right. offensive tackle that, that has room to add more weight, that's a really good thing because you bring him into an NFL training facility, he's just going to get bigger and stronger. For me, uh, Raiden's, uh, I I think, is super consistent. He didn't necessarily, like, overtly dominate the guys that he was going against when he was at North Dakota State, but he was the pinnacle of consistency. He got the job done. He's got really good technique. Um, I think he's a pretty fluid mover for a guy. Uh, of his size, whoever gets him, maybe he's not really a left tackle right off the bat. Maybe he's somebody you put it right tackle. He makes a lot of sense as being a late first rounder somewhere on day two, um, being selected by a team that just wants a really consistent guy that they can plug in and start immediately because he has that capability. Yeah, I always think that conversation is so funny, right? Because it's like who he is right now is not who he's going to be. Once he gets to the NFL, like, you know, we're talking about this player because of his potential, because of his pedigree and stuff like that. But he can add, he can easily add 10, 15 pounds once he gets to the NFL. And, you know, that could be a three, four year process. And then you've got a potential goldmine there, in my opinion. Yeah. And that's the thing that gets really confusing and frustrating when talking with fans and sometimes analysts who maybe don't really understand what goes into a draft prospect, a lot of people want the finished product now. And the reality of it is teams draft guys that have the higher ceiling more often than not, rather than the guys that are finished product, which is why Mac Jones has constantly been such a highly talked about guy right now, because yeah, you, you could probably start him right now. The comparison you keep hearing is Kirk cousins and he'd probably do a decent job but you'd probably rather have Trey Lance who can turn out to be a way more talented player down the line. 
Hundred percent. Someone was asking me the other day, like, what do you, what would you like to see as a Chargers fan? What, what would you like to see the Broncos do? And I'm like, well, I would love to see them take Mac Jones if they're going for a quarterback <laughs> because I think Trey Lance and Justin Fields have, you know, exponentially higher ceilings, and that's just kind of, you know, what we would want to avoid as Chargers fans. Um, one of the most interesting players in this class, I think, is Ellerson Smith, the edge rusher from Northern Iowa. Well, frankly, his his teammate, Spencer Brown, is super interesting as well. Um, what can you tell us about those two, you know, and, and you know, the, obviously their season was canceled this year. So where do you think those two can end up? And, and you know, how do you think they were able to kind of develop with the lack of a 2020 season? Yeah, both of them, I've had the chance to hear them speak and, and get to talk to them very briefly through doing a panel for FCS guys right before the season started with my co-host Ryan Roberts and before it was canceled. And it's really interesting hearing them talk about getting to go against each other every single day in practice and how it helped develop them. If you can go dig up folks, pictures of them when they first got to you and I, it's out there on their social medias. I'm pretty sure the way that they have grown and developed physically is insane. And it makes me wonder what the hell is the strength program <laughs> feeding these guys yeah. at Northern Iowa both of them, it's pretty simple to describe them. Physical freaks, physically gifted. Both are super tall, super long. Ellerson Smith, six foot seven. I think he's like two sixty. Uh, Spencer Brown, over three hundred and twenty pounds, six foot nine. His length is incredible. Spencer Brown is easily the best athlete for a player of his size at the tackle position in this class, and it's not even close. The numbers that he put up at his pro day, I believe he ran like a four eight. His three-cone was faster than running backs. His L-drill was faster. All these drills that he did were inconceivable for a guy of his size at six so foot crazy. nine. And you know what? Like, we're talking about not finished product. I get it. Guys, teams or fans might be saying, like, why would I want to draft a guy coming from northern Iowa? You know, what is he going to do? You're not going to be saying that in a couple of years if he actually hits on that potential. A lot of teams are going to be salivating over a guy like that, a guy that they can develop that is so uniquely physically gifted. There, are, God does not make guys like that. They just, right. He just doesn't. There's very rarely offensive tackle prospects that are built and move like defensive ends. And speaking of you know defensive ends, Ellerson Smith, not exactly to that same potential because Spencer Brown's probably going to go somewhere on day two. Ellerson Smith, on the other hand, mid-day three, it, it seems like the best case for him. He's just super consistent, you know, high motor, gets his job done, probably not going to turn into a, a really highly productive elite pass rusher on a team, but I think he could turn into a really good rotational guy. I was super impressed seeing what he was able to do at the senior bowl in those one-on-one -on -one drills. That was a glimpse of what he could become, which is just a guy that can rotate within your group in the first few, few years in the league. And then maybe he increases that role as he continues to grow and get used to playing up to NFL speed. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot right here. Who's the better player in three years from now, Spencer Brown or Dylan Radins? Oh, Spencer Brown. I'm going Spencer Brown. I, I think that Dylan Radins okay. probably has a, a higher floor than him, than Spencer Brown. But I know that Spencer Brown, based on the work that he's put in, and it's blatantly obvious to see the way that he's physically developed, he is going to be a very, very good player. And a lot of fans... A lot of media members, a lot of evaluators are going to be saying, why weren't we more on his hype train when we should have been? Yeah, I, 
that ceiling is outrage. I, I think if we had even seen, you know, just like the one game like Raiden's got, I think we might be having a totally different conversation about Spencer Brown than we are having right now. And, and, and you know, it's funny how those two are training together as well with uh, Joe Staley. So last one here, I think this cornerback class is, is very, very underrated. And I think Robert Rochelle is definitely one of the more interesting targets there. What can you tell our listeners? Because this is a need for the Chargers. Maybe they don't take a corner in round one or round two. Maybe they're looking at Robert Rochelle in round three. What can you tell us about him and kind of how he stacks up in this class? Yeah, Rochelle was another participant in the uh, that panel I was referencing earlier. So I did get to talk to him a little bit uh, way back last summer, not this, you know, the previous summer during COVID. And Rochelle, before the Senior Bowl, was touted as this super long, tall corner. Ends up going to the Senior Bowl. I think he was like five foot eleven. His length was okay, but I, I see a guy that that does really good job in in man coverage. He was the best defensive back in the FCS, which you know really says something. If if you're that good at your level of play, it's still Division One football. He goes against guys that 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 are at FBS programs from time to time. He was one of the best coverage corners at the FCS level, and I don't think he would necessarily turn into a high-level starter just because there are some concerns, you know, in in what he does as a player. But I think that he he could turn into, like, a a roster staple, somebody who maybe he's your second corner if things work out really well and he's, like, a decent second corner. Or he could just be a a nickel guy somewhere along those lines just because he's, he's pretty consistent when it comes to man coverage. Awesome, man. Awesome. That is definitely someone to keep an eye on. I, I Like I said, I think that, you know, the Chargers in a perfect role to grab their, you know, starting corner with one of their first two picks. But you know, I think it is possible that they wait and, and maybe target one of those guys later. So uh, I'll let you, you know, plug your all of your stuff, man, because you're doing, <laughs> like I said, you're, you're the host of the Big Blue Review. You work, you cover the FCS for Believe. So I'll let you let all of our listeners know where they can find you uh, and kind of do your selfish plug right here. Yeah, folks, uh, follow me on Twitter at Joe DeLeon, super straightforward, D-E-L-E-O-N-E. And then uh, if you want to check out my podcast, Believe in FCS Football, uh, anywhere you find a podcast. Also, the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects podcast, which I do with with Ryan Roberts, who is a very reputable draft analyst. That's wherever you can find a podcast. And also check out Believe.com, where there's so many shows, so many great hosts, uh, a lot of former athletes. I've been working as a producer for them for over a month now, so I definitely have to plug them. But, uh, yeah, that's basically it. Make sure you check out all that stuff, folks. Awesome, Joe. Well, thank you so much for taking the, taking the time out to join us, and we look forward to uh, hearing from you in the future. Yeah, definitely. Next time you want to talk uh, FCS guys again, <laughs> let me know. All right, man. Sounds good. All right, so the the first thing that we wanted to talk about today is the press conference that Tom Telesco gave uh, on Friday. So that was happening right when Alex and I were interviewing Austin Eckler, so we didn't get to watch it live, uh, but we have since watched it. So, Alex, what, what, what was kind of some of your main takeaways uh, from listening to what Tom Telesco had to say on Friday? I mean, Tom Telesco said a bunch of times that it's not GM speak, but it totally was GM speak, <laughs> at least for most of it. Yeah. Um, the one intriguing quote that stood out to me was when he said we evaluate uh, safeties a little bit differently with Brandon mm-hmm. Staley than we did with Anthony Lynn, and so that just kind of points to versatility, which he was asked yeah. about 15 times, uh, and uh, you know some of the other things that go into safeties that they're looking for in the draft. 
Uh, so I thought that was interesting. Other than that, it was like, yeah, we take players, not positions. And like, well, actually, if you look at your last like nine drafts, that's not what you do. But <laughs> anyway, go off. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it was an interesting press conference, but not really. It wasn't an interesting press conference at all. It was just Tom Telesco going through the motions. And I can't blame him because, you know, no offense to any of the reporters. But some of the questions he got were like, you know, who, who, how do you value these guys on your big board? And he's not going to tell you how he ranks Penny Sewell or Rayshon Slater because yeah. then he's giving the league that information. So, like, I don't know. Ask better questions, please. <laughs> the safety comment in particular, it, it is a little different, right? Because with Gus Bradley's scheme, like, you have a, you have a free safety who has to have very specific traits. Like, you're not right. going to stick a Lohi Gilman at free safety because he doesn't have those kind of traits. However, in this new kind of scheme, maybe there is a place for someone like Alohi Gilman who can maybe play in the box a little more, maybe play in the nickel. So that part was like, okay, like that makes a lot of sense. That can tell us some things. You know, they're not necessarily look going to have to pigeonhole themselves into, well, this player is exclusively a free safety. This player is exclusively a strong safety. So I guess that does kind of make sense. Tyler, uh, you've since listened to the press conference as well. What was your uh, main takeaway or two from it? The only other thing I really took away from it was that when asked about trading back, Telesco said that they would start feeling a little bit uncomfortable in the 20s to 30s range because you start running out of guys with first-round grades. You know, traditionally yeah. it's what, between like you know 20 and 25 or something like that, 15 to 25. And I think Steven and I have between 15 and 25, not that anybody cares. But for NFL teams, that's kind of where they hover. So I, I think Tillery, if I'm not, I don't know about Verrett, but I know I think Tillery was like their last or one of their last guys with a first-round grade. So... I don't think they're going to want to trade that far back. So if they trade back at all, it'll probably stick in the teens, which makes sense anyway. Yeah, so Bucky Brooks was kind of talking about this recently. I know a lot of people don't like Bucky Brooks, but um, you know, he was saying that like, you know, when you're when we're grading as scouts, you know, we as in them, not we as in the three of us, um, they kind of a reserve like first round grade for like truly elite prospects. And some mm-hmm. people are a little more lenient on that. Um, some people are really strict on like these are the 15 players I think are elite. And, and so, mm-hmm. you know, right now I personally have 18. Um, I think, you know, Tyler Tyler has 20 and Alex has 21. So generally speaking, that's kind of what you see from NFL teams. And Dan Jeremiah has also talked about it. Like generally speaking, you have like 20 to 25 first round grades. So mm-hmm. um, at 13, they should be able to get a good player kind of regardless of position. Like he said, like we're not going to, pigeonhole ourselves into forcing a pick and and to an extent I do agree right like you don't want to reach if like if you feel like you're taking the 25th player at 13 off your board then like yeah absolutely but I I keep on having this conversation with people I'm fairly confident that whoever they have as a third rated offensive tackle or third rated corner or whatever is probably in like the 15 16 17 range so, right. like, mm-hmm. you might think it's a reach, but the Chargers are not going, going to reach. Tom Telesco is not going to take someone yeah. who he has 27th on his board at 13. It's just not going to happen. I'm fairly confident that some of y'all don't understand what a reach is because <laughs> <laughs> some of y'all are telling me on Twitter, Christian Darasaw is a reach. I'm like, Christian Darasaw is like the 15th to 17th player on most of these boards and the Chargers pick at 13. You know, the definition of reach is if he's not going to be there in the next round, then, you know, he could be a player for that pick. And I don't think that means Tom Telesco is going to reach for a guy, you know, in the 30s, like Steven said. But it means, you know, anyone between that 10 to 20 range is probably in play. 
Um, so, I, you know, I just think we need to, like, recategorize what a reach is because I think all these guys right. that we're talking about, like Darasaw and Horn and Sertan or, uh, you know, if they tra- obviously trade up for Sewell or if they go with Elijah or Tucker, like, none of those guys are reaches, like, at all to me. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. like, none of us really know what's going to happen, right? I, I think at right. this point, though, the one thing that we know for Tom Telesco is that everything is on the table. A trade-up is on the mm-hmm. table. He said that he prefers to trade down. He's never traded down. He's traded up like four or five times. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of bullshit, <laughs> that's, Tom. <laughs> that's a lie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I think everything is on the table. And Tyler kind of pointed this out. Like, there there might be a scenario where, you know, we're looking at, you know, J.C. Horn's off the board, Sertan's off the board, Slater and Sewell are off the board, and maybe Jeremiah Wusukormo is the pick. Like, maybe he is the next best player. Maybe uh, Aziz Ojolari is the next best player. Maybe Jalen Phillips is the next best player on their board. So I tend to think that in that kind of situation, they would take the offensive tackle. But I think at this point, like everything is on the table for the Chargers. And as much as I want an offensive tackle, frankly, this team just needs more blue chip players. And so I'm not going to be like crazy mad if they don't take an offensive tackle. Like I will be very annoyed, but as long as it's a blue chip player, like I think that really is is where the state of the roster is. They just need more talent, um, and if it's not an offensive tackle, then so be it at this point. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I want to add is I just wanted to answer this question for myself: Is Darius saw a reach? I never really thought so, but I compiled where he was ranked on sixteen different big boards, then added our three big boards, and his average ranking was sixteen point nine. So whether you feel that it's sixteen or you feel that's seventeen, whatever. That's not a reach. Like he's yeah. he's the 16.9th ranked player on these boards out of 19, almost 20 boards, and I think like that's not a reach. Yeah, I I feel like I have been you know like lower than, on him than most, but he's my 20th ranked player. Like it, it, it's mm-hmm. not like I have him in the 40s. Like you know people are like, why don't you right. like Darison? I have my I have certain issues with like not his effort. I think that like I said is is frankly it's a bullshit narrative. But I just want to see him be a little more, a little more urgent, have a little more um, efficiency with his movements as a pass blocker and as a run blocker. And so, like, there are certain things that he can fix. You know, it, it's not a no-brainer pick, but neither is Samuel Cosme. And like, people are like, "What well, do you have Samuel Cosme ahead of him?" They're separated by like 0.5 points. So it's not <laughs> like I'm saying like right. Cosme is this amazing player and Darius not. Like, they're literally like mm-hmm. super close to each other. Right. Right. In my opinion, at least. So Sure. Um, the other yeah. thing that happened on, on Saturday at SoFi Stadium, uh, Justin Herbert was asked about Panay Sewell, his former teammate at the University of Oregon, uh, and Justin Herbert was very upfront about it and said that he is doing his best to lobby for the Chargers to draft him. Obviously, uh, if the Chargers want to draft him, they will have to trade up to get him. There is no circumstance that I think he is available at 13. Um, but I think it is important to point out that he that Justin Herbert is, you know, trying to, you know, get them to take his former teammate and specifically a teammate that happens to be an offensive tackle. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I think it'll be dictated by, you know, what the cost of moving up to seven is, which, you know, I talked about a lot on Twitter. Um, I, I think the most important thing is what happens with the quarterbacks exactly because yeah. – I think, you know, we know the first three picks are going to be quarterbacks, but which one, you know, which ones of those are left with Fields, Lance, and Jones? 
after those first four picks, I think will be very important because then that can either, you know, make a team like New England more willing to trade up or less willing. And then, you know, just talking about positional value, a team like New England is going to be much more willing to give up multiple future first rounders than a team like the Chargers are um, for an offensive tackle. So, I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, but, you know, some people were talking about, like, oh, well, if it's Mac Jones there at seven, then, you know, it won't be as competitive. And I'm like, people are talking about Mac Jones going at three. Like, what are we talking <laughs> about here? Like, Mac Jones, regardless of what you think about him as a passer, like, he has the most two most important letters in the sport, you know, next to his name, you know, QB. Like, that's going to artificially inflate his value regardless. And so teams will trade up for that. Um, and so that's kind of where I think we are with the Sewell thing. Um, obviously, I'm kind of a for the right cost kind of guy, and Tyler is, you know, let's just mortgage the franchise. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, you know, I, uh, I I think that it's a possibility at seven, depending on what plays out with the quarterbacks. But, um, yeah, for, for me, I think the Sewell thing still has to be about the right cost. Yeah, one thing about being Chinese is what you do when you try to offer somebody something, you send them in the low offer, and if it doesn't work out, it's okay. You're just like, you know what, no problem. I'm not going to fight for it. So, <laughs> you know, one future first-round pick I think is a, a nice offer. goes any higher, I'm out. I'm not mortgaging no futures here. I just don't want to give up, like, a lot, but I want to give up yeah. enough to go get him. Um, this whole Sewell-Herbert thing is a really cute story for when the Chargers.com gets to write about it if they pick him like oh yeah this is how it came about I just don't think it's going to happen like I think Sewell is a much better prospect than Lynn and company were a coaching staff but Herbert wanted to keep that coaching staff and they're all gone so I just I'm (laughs) sure he's lobbying yeah like you know which tackle do you like the guy I played with I mean I'm I'm lobbying for him and I hope he does well but like if if Herbert has this much sway uh, I'd be very shocked so if, if they trade up great um, I just don't think it was, like, because Herbert was like, yeah, go get me that guy. I won Rookie of the Year. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, I guess in, right. like, a vacuum, you can maybe, like, see where they could, you know, Arjun kind of put this out on Twitter where they give up this year's second and next year's second, and then obviously you swap picks this year. I guess, like, there's a world where that is kind of possible, and if that's what it takes, then, you know, I'm not 100% for it, but I would understand it. Um, I just think that... Like Alex is saying, I think it's going to be a lot more expensive than people think. And if it takes next year's first and this year's second or next year's second or something like that, I'm kind of out. If you can get it for next year's first and like a fifth, then like, sure, I I can understand that. But if you're asking me to give up, you know, essentially three top 50 picks across the next two drafts, like I'm kind of not about that. Yeah, people have asked me, but like, what if we could get Penny Sewell for this year's first uh, fifth and a Klondike bar? It's like, okay, if you can do that, if you can do that, then do what it. Flavor. Like, I'm all for it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I haven't eaten a Klondike bar in a fucking long time. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, that, that's just where I think it is. If you can get them for the right value, and like Arjun said, if you can trade two seconds, like, sure, I would do it. But, you know, for, yeah, I just think it's not the wise thing to be kind of, gambling those first round picks. Um, and like Steven said, I, I do think it's going to be more expensive because I, I just, I smell Bill Belichick's shitty draft dog from here. All right. <laughs> I, I just feel like he's going to go up to seven and do something. Washington needs a quarterback. Chicago needs a quarterback. And ultimately, you know, um, 
I, I, I don't think that Justin Herbert is going to be a big, you know, sticking point in this and that he wants Penny Sewell. You know, that's yeah. as dumb as, like, Burrow wants Chase stuff, and he's trying to push the Bengals to do it. Um, you know, the Bengals are either going to take Chase or they're not. Like, I don't think it's going to be based on the QB who's been there for one year right. making a decision. You know, maybe, like, Brady in New England had that power, but not these guys. Yeah, not a not a rookie, mm-hmm. and especially not Burrow. Like Burrow played, you know, eleven games or whatever. So um, it, it's going to be an interesting thing to happen, or inter- interesting to keep an eye on. Rather, um, there are some people who are like, uh, you know, I, I expect them to do it. I, I <laughs> like it wouldn't shock me, but you know, I'm not there. Like I think Tom Telesco is not going to go to this table, you know, ready to to trade next year's first round. Like that's just not who he is. Like. He has traded up, but he's never traded, like, a future first. Like, that's the biggest difference, right? When he traded up from Elvin Gordon, mm-hmm. it was like he traded up two spots, and then he also threw in, like, a fourth-round pick or something like that. Like, so he's not going to trade a future first ever. Like, he, he holds on to that for future first-round pick like it's, you know, his, his baby blanket from when he was a child. Well, I do think it was interesting. <laughs> he actually he actually had a quote in his press conference that was something along the lines of, uh, when a GM calls you, that's when you lose the leverage in the trade, right? <laughs> Versus when you call someone else, then you have the power or something like that. So yeah. I think he, he would sort of have to be the aggressor in the, in the Lions trade for that to happen. I think if the Lions call him and are like, hey, you know, New England wants to offer blah, 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 blah. Like, I don't think he's going to be the one to match that. But if it's a little bit lower than Detroit expects, then I think he could jump in for sure. Yeah. And Detroit, like, frankly, like, they need blue chip players more than anyone. Yeah. Like their roster outside of Jeff Okuda and I don't even know their roster that well anymore because everybody's gone, but they don't have like hardly any blue chip players. So if they stuck at seven, I would not be surprised. Um, but that is the spot to get to if you want to trade up to get to Panay Sewell because the Panthers are 100% not passing on Panay Sewell if he's on the board. Um all right, so we're going to get to our mock draft now. This is our 3.0. We are going to try to be at least a little somewhat predictive. You know, I think last year the only pick we got right was Justin Herbert, but, <laughs> you know, then Tom Telesco had to trade his second and his, and his third-round pick too. So uh, we're going to be a, we're gonna try and put on our Telesco hats for, for a day, and, and we'll see how this goes. Um, so I'm going to have the first pick. We have preloaded the draft, so we don't have to – I wanted to make sure that it wasn't a crazy board. Um, so this is how the draft panned out so far. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. So this is kind of – this is the first thing that has to happen, right? If you want to go get Panay Sewell, four quarterbacks have to go off the board, in my opinion. And then obviously the Bengals have to take one of the receivers or Kyle Pitts. Alex is going to be very happy about this draft because uh, the Eagles got Kyle Pitts for some <laughs> reason. That is like uh, the one pick where I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertan both off the board. Mac Jones off the board. Rayshon Slater off the board. So in terms of, like, worst-case scenario at this point, I think this is it, right? Because ideally, you know, in my opinion, I think you have Rayshon Slater, you have J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertan. I think those players are on a different tier than the players that are currently on the board. So you have Micah Parsons, who's a piece of shit. Uh, Devontae Smith, Christian Derrissaw, Caleb Farley, Tevin Jenkins, Jalen Phillips, Zayvon Collins. That's kind of the board right now. Um, for me personally, 
I would take Tevin Jenkins in this kind of situation and put him at left tackle. I do think Tevin Jenkins is a better prospect than Christian Derisaw. But um, I think in this kind of situation, you'd be looking at Devontae Smith potentially or Christian Derisaw. I think that's that would be the debate. Um, and so I, I personally would take Christian Derisaw if that is the case. And I think that is what Tom Telesco would do as well. I think if Jalen Waddell were on the board instead of Devontae Smith, I think that's a different conversation. Um, but I think if this is the board, then we can all pencil in Christian Derisaw. And I think that's that's fine. Like, he's not my guy, but I understand the pick. He's got a ton of physical attributes that do align with what the Chargers are looking for at left tackle. The dude is a crazy athlete that can run step-for-step with Khalil Herbert down the field. So there is a lot of upside here for Christian Derrissaw. The Chargers are not settling for him. Um, He's just not my player. He's not the guy that I would take. But I would be very happy with Christian Derrissaw in this case. Yeah, I think it'll be just interesting to see when we talk about those kind of best-case, worst-case scenarios because I I did a mock draft video this weekend sort of talking about the top 12. Um, And one of the things that I saw is that in some simulations on the draft network, you get all five quarterbacks, which – I still think is the most likely thing to happen in the top 10. Um, But in some of them, you get three and some of them, you get four. And right. So those position players start to whittle down and maybe a Michael Parsons is in that top 10. Maybe a Devonta Smith uh, is in that top 12. Right. So I think that's kind of the, you know, debate between the best and worst case scenarios, I guess. Um, I would go with Christian Darisol here. Uh, I'm in agreement with Telesco. I know Steven would go with Tevin Jenkins. Um, but for me, I, I think Darisol is kind of the best tackle prospect on the board. And uh, Devonta Smith, while I think he is kind of BPA here uh, in this scenario, I just think Darisol fills a, a much bigger need. I know Telesco yeah. said players, not positions. I don't believe him on that um, <laughs> for one second. But, you know, with, you know, Sertan and Horn kind of off the board here, uh, I think that the area of need and sort of, to an extent, uh, the second DPA, I think that that makes a lot of sense with uh, Christian Darasaw. I think we've basically beaten the Christian Darasaw story to death. We've all talked about him many times. So right. I just want to know why you didn't think the Chargers would take Tevin Jenkins. Is it because he's a right tackle? Because he's a little bit older at 23? Like, and you think they're just close enough where like that matters? So why would why do you think the Chargers would not take Jenkins? Well, I think you know first and foremost, I, I think the Chargers know that they have to get like a left tackle. I know that Tom Telesco again the positions not not or players not positions, but I think there is a world in which some teams and this could be the Chargers look at Tevin Jenkins, and he's not like a he's not a scrub like he's he he is athletic. But I think you look at the length and athleticism of Christian Derrissaw, and that aligns more with what the prototypical left tackle is. I do think that Tevin Jenkins could play left tackle, absolutely. Um, you know, we've we've had this conversation a little bit with Brentley Weissman. He, he happens to share that same kind of belief. It, it would just be different, right, because Tevin Jenkins is more of an aggressive, I want to go get my hands on you as soon as I can offensive tackle. And that works for some te- some some offensive linemen. David Bakhtiari is that way. He loves to quick set. He loves to angle set. But traditionally speaking, you've got to have a left tackle who can have the strength, the athleticism to to do more traditional deep sets and then be able to handle speed, handle power. Uh, and that is that is definitely more of Christian Derrissaw. I know Tom Telesco said he doesn't like length isn't the in his top three traits when evaluating offensive tackles. But again. 
the proof says otherwise, right? Because if length wasn't exactly. that big of a deal, he would have made Forrest Lamp a tackle. And I know it wasn't like mm-hmm. 100% his decision, but you know, when we, when we're thinking of how the Chargers value length, like Forrest Lamp is the poster child, right? Because if they didn't value it that much, he would have been a tackle, but he had 32 and seven eighth arms. I think it was, was the case for him. Now, Tim and Jenkins does is past the 33, but I mean, there's no doubt about it that Christian Derrissaw checks every box physically of what yeah. teams traditionally look for in the left tackle spot. Yeah, absolutely agree. So we'll go to Derrissaw, and then next up is Tyler at 47. So there's Tevin Jenkins at 14 and Smith right off the bat. So I, I kind of wonder, too, though. Kind of hints to the... Go ahead, Tyler. Go for it. Oh, I was just saying that kind of hints to – the, the Vikings taking Tevin Jenkins. If the Chargers traded back to 16 or 17, they're taking Derrissaw or Jenkins yep. or whatever. So you got to take your guy at 13. 100%. I do also kind of wonder if Caleb Farley is in play, right? Because we know that Tom Telesco isn't uh, – he hasn't shied away from medical red flags as much as other people might mm-hmm. think. So I, I kind of wonder if Farley is in play still for the Chargers at 13. Nick Bolton. All right. So after Christian Derrissaw, like Tyler said, you have Tevin Jenkins, Devontae Smith, all these guys, Alex Leatherwood at 21. Honestly, that wouldn't really surprise me at this point. Um, Elijah Vera Tucker at 24. That's really good value for him. I don't think the Steelers are smart enough to do that. Oh, this is updated with the Ravens trade, huh? So they get Tryon and Merrick in this situation. That's very Ravens-esque, and that would be mm-hmm. two great picks. There's Cosme at 33. Damon Davis, Terrace Marshall, Liam Eichenberg. Is Radunes gone yet? I think Radunes is still on the board. If so. the Eagles got Kyle Pitts and Terrace Marshall, I would throw a parade. <laughs> <laughs> so Dylan Radunes is on the board still here, so... For those who think that the Chargers don't have to take an offensive tackle at 13, he's kind of like the best case scenario at 47. If that is the case, uh, he's fallen a little bit on the draft network because he was, uh, I want to yeah, say, like 41 ish before. So now he's 54. So I just thought yeah. that was interesting. All right, Tyler. So let me know uh, what positions you want to see. How far you want me to go down? Just scroll down slowly, and I'll look at the guys. Javante Williams is fun, but no, Turner. You've definitely set me up for some sort of defensive player. And I feel like it's a little easy at this point. Um, I'm not going to talk about Rousseau since I just don't think he'll actually be there. So, like, if he were there, I suppose that they would take him. I just don't think he's falling to 47. Um, So I'm just not really going to. Okay. I am actually – it's probably going to put a lot of strain on Alex and the rest of us in this draft. I'm not taking Javante Williams. But I am going to take (laughs) – the, okay, the way TDN's board is, at least, I do think it doesn't quite. He doesn't. He's not ranked 47th or anywhere slightly near there. But I do kind of get what you were talking about, Stephen, where you could find corners a little bit later, and that a safety is somewhat more of a priority at this point. While it is the boring pick because we pick this guy a lot, and most people have him picked at this spot a lot. Um, I'm actually going to go Richie Grant, and that's over Asante Samuel Jr. I'm going to trust that my co-hosts can find me a corner later on or that we can coach up Brandon face on to be really good or something. Oh, man. <laughs> um, but so I'm, I'm actually going to go 
Otherwise, I would go like Landon Dickerson just because I think that would be really fun. Like if you're just so going, I kind of just want to go all offensive line. But I think once you nail your lap tackle, you just get your best defensive player available. And Richie Grant is my 23rd ranked player, so even though he's here at 71. And granted, I haven't graded all the players on TDN Sports. Maybe he would be lower, but he's my 23rd ranked player. And yeah, he's 71 here. Whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with him because I do think he is basically the best defensive player available, and I think I have him over Asante Samuel Jr. anyway. So at this point, I want a defensive player. I'm going Richie Grant. Alex, you're up next, man. So what are your thoughts here about Richie Grant at uh, 47? Uh, I would not take him over Asante Samuel Jr. Uh, I, I think I have Richie Grant in like the 40s or so. Um, I, I like him, but to me, I, I just kind of value having that cornerback more and if you just if you want to scroll up, Stephen, I just want to see who else was kind of available. Um, yeah, I mean, you can make the argument for potentially double dipping a tackle. Gregory Rousseau, I know, I know Peyton Turner, Edge. Um, I don't know. For me, uh, I, I do appreciate Richie Grant, but he's probably like the third or fourth guy I would have picked here. Um, but that's just kind of me. Um, but, you know, different tastes. And I, I do still think you can have a successful draft, even with a safety in the second round. I think there are good cornerbacks that are going to be available in the third round. But for me, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I I know you guys value the safety in the second round thing, especially Steven. But to me, I just think corner uh, would, would fix quite a few problems. I do think they will draft a safety earlier than expected. But I don't know if I'm feeling it in the second round personally. Well, it's not just like the specifically the position. It's more so the depth of the position, right? Because I, I think right. that there no, are, I, agree. I think there are a lot more corners in this class than there are safeties that I would be okay with. And it's you know Richie Grant is is technically not like a starter in the base formation, right? But he's if they draft Richie Grant here, he's going to play seventy, you know, sixty five, seventy percent of the snaps, and so he, he pretty much is a starter to play on special teams as well. Um, I'm a big fan of this pick. I will say. It would not surprise me if they do take an edge rusher at this at this spot. There, there's a you know Peyton mm-hmm. Turner, Ronnie Perkins. I know Russell's on the board. I, I and and Joseph Osai. I think if this is the way the board pans out, I, I think they could absolutely take a edge rusher here. But I, I love Richie Grant, so I'm not going to be mad about that pick. Dylan Redunes at 48 to the Raiders, huh? Loathe that. <laughs> oh, Creed, Humphrey to the, to Creed Humphrey to the Rams. I know some people are going to be very happy about that happening if that's yeah. the case. Mm-hmm. Wyatt Davis to the Chiefs. Fuck. That would be great for them. That would be that would be awesome for them, unfortunately. God, they're rebuilding that whole offensive line, aren't they? <laughs> yes. All right, so... Spencer Brown's off the board, Elijah Molden, Divine Diablo. There's Rousseau at 69. Wow. Deami nice. Brown. <laughs> that is nice. Um, there's a little bit of the run on receivers. Milton Williams at 64. Wow. There's the edge rushers. All right. So there's Landon Dickerson to the Cardinals. Man, that would be, that'd be really good for them. All right, Alex, let me know what you want to see. Um, uh yeah, I mean I guess just scroll down a little bit. Um let's see what we got going on. 
Uh, I mean, this is an interesting position if you do go safety. Uh, I think this is really setting up for one or two things if they go Richie Grant in the second round. Probably edge, probably cornerback, I think, are the two that I kind of look at there. Or they could go interior offensive lineman. Um, if I were to go BPA, I guess I would take a receiver here based on TDN's board. <laughs> um, but I don't think they're going to take a receiver this early. Uh, and I don't love any of these receivers, so um, I'm just kind of... Can you scroll down one more time? Yeah, I'm going to take uh, Ifeya Tumeli Fondwu here. Uh, I think that he's probably the best cornerback on the board. I know some yep. people will argue for Tyson Campbell and the Georgia boys. Um, but if you can uh, get the, that kind of value here, again, 78th ranked player, 77th um, you know, pick here. If he fills the corner need. I personally would have gone to Sante Samuel Jr. last round. But if the sort of, um, you know, uh, counter offer to that is that you get Richie Grant in the second and then Faye uh, 2 in the third. I'm also fine with that. So uh, I do think he is kind of best player available uh, in this spot. So that's where I'm going. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's a good call. And I think honestly, like if it's me, I wouldn't have been opposed to taking Meli Fonwu or Paulson Debo at 47. I know that's a little rich right. for some people. But, I mean, I have both of them within my top 50, so I think at 47, I think they're in play there. Um, and, obviously, right here, I think that's a that's a no-brainer here as well. Uh, I guess I could see them maybe taking a receiver with this pick, uh, maybe giving, you know, given the circumstances with Mike Williams and, obviously, Tyron Johnson and Jalen Guyton are also free agents after next year. Um, but if this is the way the board pans out, it has to be a cornerback. And even Tyson Campbell, I think, would be in play. You know, Benjamin St. Yeah. Juice, I saw him a little bit down the road um, right here at 97. So I think it, if this is the way the board pans out, then we would see, you know, a cornerback taken. Yeah, I mean, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about uh, Troll Williams and uh, you have Cisco at Syracuse, but I think Melifonwu was the most impressive uh, of those three players in the secondary. So I think you get – guy who can be a day one starter and anytime you can get that in the third round, especially at a position of need, uh, I just think it's something that you have to do. See, it worked out. There yeah. we go. Kind 100%. of. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> but that, I mean, it is true. Like I think, you know, the cornerbacks in the third round that you could get aren't that much worse than Asante Samuel Jr. Like I think that's, a, they're pretty close on my board in fact. So. Mm-hmm. I could see them going receiver if something like, for some reason, Rondell Moore fell or maybe like yeah. Wallace or something. I, I, I just I, I just saw a lot of those guys like Dwayne Eskridge and Nico Collins, and it's like I don't hate yeah. those players, but they're not you know that big of a value for me where right. I'm I'm feeling like okay I got a guy that was supposed to go thirty picks before like I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you did get a Georgia boy just for the Eagles in this situation. Mm. Okay. <laughs> And there's your guy Hamza Nazarudin to the Dolphins at 81. So Ooh, the Bears select Davis Mills. <laughs> Do they really? Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> that, Davis Mills was a tough evaluation for me because, like, clearly you look and he's got physical tools, but I think he only made 10 starts in college. So I don't know, man. If I were him, I would have gone back to school, maybe cement yourself as kind of like a top tier guy next year. But I obviously will not fault anyone for uh, declaring for the draft. All right, so I'm up here at 97. 
James Hudson. Man, it's so unfortunate the way that that guy tested. I was such a big fan of his tape. Mm-hmm. There's Tyler Shelvin. Oh, Deontay Brown. Can't wait to take him. On the table. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I kind of know where I'm leaning here. Can I guess? If it were me, obviously, I would take an interior offensive lineman. Uh, we all know that. However, Brandon Staley and Tom Telesco have talked several times about not having – you can never have too many edge rushers. And so I, I think for some people this might be a little rich, um, but I think if he had had a 2020 season, I think we'd be looking at arguably a second-round pick, and that's Ellerson Smith from Northern Iowa. He fits the physical profile of what Brandon Staley has traditionally looked for as an outside linebacker edge almost to a T. Like they're, every single attribute that he wants, Ellerson Smith has. You know, We've kind of talked about him. I think he was Alex's sleeper. Um, I don't think he's much of a sleeper anymore. I think people have really caught on, and the hype train has has kind of taken off. Um, but if he's here at 97, uh, I'm taking him. And so Ellerson Smith is going to be, be my pick. I know everybody was kind of expecting an offensive heavy, heavy draft, uh, but I really like the way that this is panning out. Get your left tackle of the future. Get your CB1 of the future. Get an edge rusher. Get a safety. You give Brandon Staley three defensive horses that can really – be building blocks for this team going forward. So Ellerson Smith, the edge rusher out of Northern Iowa, is my pick here. Just out of curiosity, because they have Jordan Smith here, uh, were there any other edges available? I just wanted to see if there was anybody um, else. Um, we have him Carver Shed, which is interesting. Um, Patrick uh, Jones would probably Oda Yingbo from Vanderbilt would be way more interesting to me if he hadn't torn his Achilles. Um, mm. last year. Mm. So I, I, I tweeted this out. He has like an 87 inch wingspan. Like his length is absurd. <laughs> but again, he just tore his Achilles. So I'm a little worried about how that will affect his explosiveness going forward in his career, unfortunately. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think looking at the board, you know, Ellerson Smith is clearly best edge available. Um, you can make an argument for best player, but because of how we've kind of gone through the draft so far, uh, I do think he is kind of BPA here, and I would take him with the edge. Tyler, any thoughts? Him? Haven't watched nope. him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally get why they would go edge here. Um, they need more edge rushers. The Chargers have been best when they have at least three different guys to rotate one guy in. And then Wilson is possibly gone next year. So this totally makes sense to me. Cool. All right, so Tyler And their is... defensive line coach and their defensive coordinator are amazing. They are. So or their head right. coach. They're real D coordinator. <laughs> They're real D coordinator, yeah. Um, but that's also kind of why I think Peyton Turner is in play, right? Because I think just the value of mm-hmm. Peyton Turner at 47, rather. Um, I, I just think the value of edge rusher is, is so important. And this, you know, he, he again is, is someone that fits the Chargers, you know, almost perfectly in terms of physical profile. Yep. Um, it's just a matter of if they think he's he is that best player available there. Yeah. So here's a little run on offensive linemen. Kendrick Green, Robert Hainsey, Aaron Banks, Deontay Brown, Ben Cleveland all came off the board. Deontay Smith, James Hudson, Stone Forsyth as well. Um, So, all right, Tyler, Mm -hmm. here you are at pick 118. Nice. Go ahead and scroll down for me. I'm not taking Sermon. (laughs) I don't want to say it's redundant, but there's some redundancy in, in positions here. Yeah. There's like two skill, offensive skill position players. 
or even offensive if we linemen. had if if we had gone Richie Grant round two, I think uh, Tanawa uh, Hafango, he would be an interesting pick here. I like him a lot. Yeah. Okay, scroll back up because I already forgot the name. They were that good. <laughs> Man, Patrick Jones is really oh. fallen. Yeah, I know. I still, I still don't get that. I don't buy it, but we'll see where he goes. Um, I'm going to pick one of the interior defensive linemen here. Oh, man, it's like, I don't know how I pick between these two guys. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because there's not a lot in on this. Like, I think they would go something random. Like, I truly think they would go somewhere like maybe like receiver, but on this board, it's not really like, there's nothing really like, I mean, Des Fitzpatrick, Ooh. maybe? Like, that's mm. tempting. Like, I just feel like you guys like the okay. What I would think, I think at this point, is they would go like give give me some offense, but I just that doesn't really match like their board and like. Uh. Well, it's gonna be really interesting to see how they value KJ Hill and Joe Reed, right? Because I mm-hmm. think it's clear that they like Tyron Johnson and Jalen Guyton, but. You know, there mm-hmm. are there are still a lot of people that you know seem to like KJ Hill and think that he could you know develop into something as a route runner and as a slot guy, and obviously Jordan yeah. is kind of that gadget guy. So it's going to be interesting to see if that influences their board at all. Because I agree, like it wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me if this is where they take you know another right wide receiver, give him give Justin Herbert another weapon, maybe double down onto the offensive mm-hmm. line. Uh, but yeah, I would have a hard time passing on Shelvin or McNeil in this in this kind of situation. Yeah, I, I think I think not only do they have more picks this draft, but Telasco hinted at them having you know three or four extra picks next draft as well. And if you're looking for another wide receiver three, granted you maybe don't want to burn a six like only a six round pick on a guy, but you have a lot of at bats to go kind of find that later ish day three wide receiver three. Maybe they want more investment in the wide receiver position. I don't know. Um, but they have so many I mean, could, next season as well. Like they could see how the Johnson Guyton experiment plays out. And yeah. then of course Hill and Reed, and then address it next year. So I'm going to punt. Alex, what you what were you gonna say? No, I was just gonna say, uh, you know, they could say, you know, hey, we don't like any of these guys on the board. They trade back from round four till you know the end of round four, right, or something. If there's a player that they yeah. like better, you know, Telesco said he likes accumulating a picks. Maybe he gets a pick later in this draft, or maybe a fifth or sixth round pick next year. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I am sick of watching the Chargers give up. I mean, they're, they're bed not break kind of defense, but I just feel like even when they get to the goal line, I have flashbacks to like when they played the Saints back in San Diego, where was it Kuhn? I forget who the who the fullback was. Took like a handoff and ran right up the middle for a touchdown, and I just hate watching that. I want a plugger of the line. I am going to go with Tyler Shelvin. He is the greatest first name of any prospect on this board. <laughs> and I think I don't think it's a huge difference between Shelvin and McNeil. McNeil's no. a bit of a pass rusher, but I love what Shelvin does. And I, I think they would go here. It does make sense for what they kind of need, and they're going to prepare for life without Joseph. And who knows what the rest of their interior defensive linemen are going to do. They probably would go McNeil, but I think there's just something about Shelvin that would be alluring to the Chargers whether it be the heart he shows on the field or the effort or whatever it is, I think at this point that Shelvin would potentially be the pick, if not like a wide receiver. But based on, I'm, I'm taking Shelvin there. There we go. <laughs> um, I think that's a fine pick. And, you know, in the fourth round, I think that's 
I think that's okay. I, I think, you know, the run-stuffing defensive tackle has kind of become like a dying breed, but you still need them, right? And especially, you know, mm-hmm. Brandon Staley likes to be able to mix up coverages, mix up blitzes, and do all these things. Well, you still got to stop the run. Like, that still needs to be a priority. Um, and as much as I think Limal Joseph is is going to have a good season again, he is getting older. You know, Justin Jones mm-hmm. is is less of a nose tackle, more of like a three-technique defensive tackle. Same with Jerry Tillery. So they do need someone to be that run-stuffing guy. I know Braden Fajoko, um, he's very popular on Twitter. I just don't know if we've seen enough of that. I don't know if he fits the profile of that. But Tyler Shelvin absolutely is a nose tackle, going to stuff the run, going to stop blockers in his tracks and set the line of scrimmage. And that's so valuable for a guy like Kenneth Murray, Drew Tranquil, because they don't have to worry about double teams, blockers coming up to them, because Tyler Shelvin's going to eat all of those blockers up at the mm-hmm. line of scrimmage. Yeah, and I mean, last mock draft, uh, we sort of took a bunch of positions, and we forgot interior defensive line, so we addressed yeah. it in this one. There I'm go. sure we'll be reminded of what we forgot this time. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's Dennis Patrick to the Colts. I, I yeah. love Des Patrick. I think Fitzpatrick is one of the most slept on guys in this class. I yeah. really do. Him and Cameron Bynum are like my two like sleeper guys that I I love more than anyone else. You do like Bynum more than anybody else. That is true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that is very true. That is very true. All right. So Alex is gonna come up here at pick one fifty nine. Patrick Jones is still on the board. Wow. There he goes. All right, here you go. So it looks like you're taking an edge rusher again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, all right, let's let's scroll down and see what we got. Oh, um, Daz I know Newsom where this from Daz Newsom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, I, I do want to see what else we have though. Um, Brandon James, interesting. Um, I like I like Brandon Hymies a lot. A lot of people like Simi Fihoko. Um, I'm not as high on him, but he, he could be kind of interesting. Maybe he's like a sixth or seventh round guy, kind of um, jump ball like Williams replacement maybe. Uh, some people value him like that, but I'm not quite as high on him. Um, all right, you know what I want to do. Open the wide receiver tab. <laughs> all right. Um, who is he going to so- take? I wonder who. <laughs> uh, Daz Newsom. Well, all right, Daz Newsom is actually pretty interesting. Uh, I, well, I'm going to take Anthony Schwartz here, and you guys know that. But uh, I do think a lot can be said for Daz Newsom and the North Carolina kind of receivers in general. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, you have De'Ami Brown, who is a little bit outside my top 50, but still very good. So, honestly, I do think this is kind of a position where we've addressed everything else, and you're kind of looking for an offensive weapon. Uh, and the board kind of bared that out, you know, with a lot of the guys that are going to be available here. So, um, yeah, you know what I'm doing. Click the button, Steven. (laughs) No, I I totally understand that. And and I think Anthony Schwartz, like, you know, we've said for years that the Chargers need more speed. They need more natural athleticism on the outside. And Schwartz is absolutely that. Like, he brings that track record uh, literally to the table, and I think he'd be a fine pick. I just kind of wonder – if, you know, the Chargers are looking more for kind of like that Mike Williams replacement than mm-hmm. somebody to compete with Tyron Johnson and Jalen Guyton. And so that's just kind of my only hold up here. Um, I, I have studied Simi Fihoko. I haven't slapped a grade on him yet. 
but I have watched the three games. And so I'm a big fan of his. He is six four, six foot four. Uh, he did grow up in Utah. Unfortunately, went to a high school that I hate, but that's okay. Um, but I think he's got the kind of physical profile that could, you know, develop into that wide receiver on the outside if Mike Williams leaves. Um, so that would be my only uh, hang up there. Same with Josh Immature Bebe or however you say that. I think he kind of has that same kind of physical profile too. Uh, and obviously I like Josh Palmer uh, a lot as well. But this is Alex's pick, so we're going to go with Anthony Schwartz. Yeah, nice. You know it. <laughs> you know, I think for anyone who complains, oh, maybe this is like, oh, they have just way too many wide receivers. Ah, oh, my, my video's gone. Anyway, for anyone who complains that they have way too many wide receivers, like Telesco had five tight ends last year preparing for the <laughs> eventual departure of Hunter Henry. So I think, like, they could add a guy and then, you know, eventually bump off Mike Williams, and then now you have your replacements. It worked for him last year. You know, yeah. The tight end room this year is kind of the guys they brought in last year. So. You know, I think that I could see them doing that again this year. And, you know, the reason they cut Tevin Reese back in the day, even just after drafting him, is because he had horrible hands. And we have Guyton with his horrible hands, and K.J. Hill struggled with some drops early on during the season. So if either of these guys aren't really cutting it, I mean, you might have your replacement right here. So yeah, I like it. I, I don't know. The, the thing for me is, like, I think they're deep at receiver, but I don't think they're, like, super deep to the point of not taking someone. Like, you know, if we saw a mm-hmm. lot from Joe Reed last year as a receiver, then maybe that totally. would get me to the point of being, you know, let's not take a wide receiver this draft. Um, but I see Steven circling Cameron Bynum. Circling Cameron Bynum, yeah. But um, I don't know. For me, Guyton does drop the ball quite frequently, and, like, he is fast but not terribly efficient. Um, so I don't know. I think I think you really have four kind of impact guys uh, on this team that are wide receivers, and I don't know. Are, are you expecting Tyron Johnson to make a crazy jump? I, I certainly think he could, but to me that doesn't prevent you from taking another wide receiver, especially like we talked about. Uh, Mike Williams, Jalen Guyton, and uh, Tyron Johnson are all free agents next year, right? So yeah. All right, so. I would have loved to address the offensive line again sooner than this. Obviously, like everybody who knows uh, <laughs> where I stand uh, yeah. will, will know that. This is kind of where I think the Chargers could, you know, we saw them go with Alohi Gilman in this range, kind of that special teams target. So hmm. it wouldn't surprise me if they did that again here. Um, Justin Hilliard would be my choice if that is the case here. Um, he's kind of a guy, I think, you know, Ben Fennel mentioned him as one of his favorite special teams guys had like 600 special team snaps at Ohio state. Um, and he just kind of had a log jam in front of him, right? Like there's like seven Ohio state linebackers in this class. So yeah, I think that could make some sense. Um, but I do think eventually they need to bring in some competition for Ode Abushi. Um, and so I'm, that's kind of where I'm leaning right here. Uh, and I'm going to shock the world, and I'm going to go with a BYU player, uh, Tristan Hodge, the offensive lineman from BYU, who has some center guard flexibility. And even though he played at BYU, he also played at Notre Dame. So kind of checks a lot of boxes oh. for the Chargers in this kind okay. of situation. Um, he, Tom Telesco inadvertently gets his Notre Dame player in Tristan Hodge. Now, out of the 128 offensive linemen you graded, where does Tristan Hodge rank? 
<laughs> it's only 50, okay? Come on. Um, but Tristan Hodge, I think this is a, a good spot for him. I, I would be okay taking him in the fifth round. Um, but he has some, you know, very uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? He has some good traits to, to look for as a developmental offensive lineman. This is kind of late to be taking, like, a competition for Ode Ibushi, but, you know, I do think eventually they would have to address this. I did also think for a second about going with Dan Moore from uh, Texas A&M as kind of the tackle guard target. Um, I think he's he's got a little more developing to happen, though, and so I think Tristan Hodge is a little more safe, could potentially uh, actually give O'Day – like an actual competition. I don't think he would beat out O'Day, but I do think that Tristan Hodge uh, would make a lot of sense there. I do think it's crazy when you go back to the um, tackles page that Alaric Jackson is like 237 uh, compared to where we had him a few years ago. And, and Jason Vallier talked about that on Twitter, and I just thought that was super, you know, interesting. Yeah. He was a – because I really liked him – you know, to an extent, last year when I was watching Tristan Wirfs, it just mm-hmm. he took a big step back this last year, and then he went down at the Senior Bowl and honestly looked like the slowest player on the field and just got dominated. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's kind of why people are, are lower on him the most. Wow, Simi Fajoko is still on the board. All right, Tyler, you're up, man, 198. So one of the things the Chargers have done before is value very athletic linebackers on day three. We saw that with Drew Tranquil, and who he tested very, very well athletically. I don't recall exactly where he was. And I do think it is worth it to them to try and get one more guy in there because you really don't know how this group is going to hold up. So I think Steven knows where I'm going, or potentially. A very athletic linebacker. He's very blue-collar and hardworking. See if Steven gets there slowly. Yeah, so I am actually going to go with Nick Neiman, who ranked 21st out of 2,098 linebackers from however they have that, how long they've had it um, for their RAS score. I just think, yeah, he's 266 on this board. But I think, listen, Telesco is not shy from taking guys that are a little further down than the board actually says they would be. So I think they need an athletic linebacker. I think they they do take athletic linebackers on day three. Um, They do need special teams help. And I think Neiman kind of checks a lot of boxes for them. So I'm going to go with Neiman here. Now, like if it. you were to go for the real blue-collar player, you would go with Patty Fisher, who ran slower. <laughs> than- <laughs> <laughs> well, to your point, Tyler, like, Elohi Goldman wasn't even on the Draft Network's board last year. And, and like, I literally was like, who is this guy? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, we all. But, yeah, I, I think this is a fine pick at this point in the draft. You know, you bet on some tools – uh, get a special teams contributor. They lost BJ Bello, so uh, they do need to kind of get that off-ball linebacker special teams guy. So I think that makes a lot of sense. All right, White so, dude running a four-four-five. Yeah, from Iowa too. From Iowa. So Alex is going to be the last pick here. Um, maybe going a, a potential. We haven't taken a tight end yet. Um, you know, granted, you could still get a blocking tight end at this point. Maybe double down on an edge rusher. We'll see. This is Alex's pick. I don't know where Alex is going to land on this one, but. Um. Can I just say something before Alex picks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember my really stupid Avery Williams pick that was in the 400s? He's at 188 <laughs> right now. Yeah. So everyone Ooh. can. Wow. And he's on the board. Just, 
<laughs> and he's on the board. Should we get two special teams picks in a row, Alex? Maybe, but show me that tight ends tab real quick. Yeah, show me the tight ends. Yeah. <laughs> show me the tight ends. Matt Bushman. Yeah. Oh, two BYU players. Let's do it. I'm going to go with Luke Farrell out of Ohio State, uh, and I nice. really like him as a blocker. I think this team needs a blocker. We talked about it. Uh, I've done this a couple times in my mock drafts, taking Luke Farrell at the end of the seventh. Um, but I, I think he is a really good blocker, and I think this team needs it with Darren Cook, who's not really a blocker, and then you have a lunch, you know, a bunch of kind of unproven blockers. Steven Anderson's like okay, Donald Parham, mm, I don't know. So like, I think you if you have Tom Telesco carry four tight ends in the next year. Uh, which is kind of what he did this year and sort of the approach he's had with Anderson and Parham in terms of waiting for development. I think you could get a guy here uh, that is a, a good blocker. So I'm going to take uh, Luke Farrell. I think he's a good team player, good character guy, uh, and I think he's a good seventh-round pick. Nice job, Alex. I like it. This means that you have, like, four really interesting or, you know, at least solid either developmental guys or veteran guys or four really interesting guys and Gabe Neighbors on your team. So you're doing a really good job. <laughs> and, I mean, we, we pretty much kind of addressed all of the positions, really, in the draft. Yeah. Um, the the only thing that I think we didn't address is running back, which we did last time, which I don't think is a desperate need, uh, even though I'll cry if we don't get Khalil Herbert, of course. But um, <laughs> I think that, the, that we did pretty well in terms of the positions. I'm sure the comments will let us know that we forgot to draft Matt Borregalis or whatever, but... <laughs> you didn't take a kicker. Uh, all right, so this is how the draft did end up. Uh, Christian Derrissaw, Richie Grant, Ifeatu Milifonwu, Ellerson Smith, Tyler Shelvin, Anthony Schwartz, Tristan Hodge, Nick Neiman, and Luke Farrell. So I, I agree. I think this does check a lot of boxes. You know, last time we took a running back instead of a defensive tackle. Um, I think we've taken Anthony Schwartz in every draft that we've done. Uh, <laughs> somehow Alex has managed to do that in every single one. But that's I, I didn't even do that last time. That was Tyler last time. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I just felt bad for you. <laughs> um, Put on those sex eyes. I was like, ah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> sex eyes. We got to get that on a shirt somehow, man. Um, <laughs> all right, I, I kind of want to put some uh, percentage points on this. Like, how likely do we think Christian Derrissaw is the pick at this point? Because last time, or last year this time, you know, we all kind of just assumed that it was going to be Herbert, even though I wanted Jedrick Wills or Tristan Wurst. But, yeah. you know, we were all pretty confident. I know Alex wasn't with us at the time, but, you know, Jason, Tyler, and I were all really confident that it was going to be Justin Herbert. So, uh, Tyler, I'll let you start this one off, like, if you had to put a percentage on it being Derisaw, where would you go? I hate doing percentages for things. You know, I think Telesco is pretty easy to figure out in the first round. Like, everyone kind of knew he was going corner when they took Verrett. Everyone kind of knew he was going taco and took Fluker. Everyone kind of knew he was taking either Gordon or Gurley, whoever was there. Derwin yeah. James just happened to fall. But we knew it was going to be Justin Herbert unless, you know, the, 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 you know, the Dolphins took Herbert. So I think that he is pretty easy to figure out in the first round. And, you know, when longtime starters or, you know, starters who play significant snaps, well, because they're starters, duh, when they depart, he always does try to fill that departure with a new player or taken early, whether that be the first round or the second round. So, yeah, I think it is Derrissaw. He does check all the boxes. Slater is not really their left tackle, you know, kind of prospect. He wasn't even there anyway. I don't think he'll be there anyway. I really don't think they're trading up for Sewell. Um, 
I don't I, I percentage points like I would bet money on it. I'll tell you that. As far as percentage goes, I would say sixty six point six seven percent with the only difference being, you know, if if Waddle or Horn are on the board and then, then they have some serious, you know, considerations. Maybe Jenkins. I just I just I don't I think it comes down to Jarosaw Horn or Waddle if he's there. And I so I think two thirds chance it's Jarosaw, I guess. Alex, what about yeah, you, Matt? I, I would say well, first I'll start with chance to trade up for Sewell. I would say that's like 25 probably percent chance. Um, I wouldn't rank it as that low as a probability, but I do think it is possible. Um, if it they stay at 13, I would probably say, yeah, like like Tyler said, about a 70% chance they take Darasaw uh, around there. It does depend on who owns on the board, though, because if you get into a situation where Horn is available at 13 and the Eagles and Cowboys don't take him, if you get into a situation with, you know, Sertan is there at 13, I think that's unlikelier. But, you know, um, you know, we could talk about Jalen Waddle or, or Devonta Smith, too. Uh, those guys could be there at 13. So um, I think it is the most likely pick just based on kind of what Tom Telesco likes in the tackles he's taken before. Uh, as well, I, I think Christian Darasov fits that a little bit more uh, than a Tevin Jenkins or somebody like that. Uh, if Rashawn Slater is on the board, I think that makes it interesting. But like you know, me, me and Stephen were talking about this on the live stream. Um, I, I kind of think Telesco might still go Darasov there, just based on what he likes in the physical attributes and you know the functional strength and the verticality, you know all that. Um, even though he said today length doesn't matter, you know it's the motion of the ocean apparently. But uh, I would say that uh, th- this is kind of, yeah, so I- I'd say 70% chance if they're there, they take Darasaw. But, you know, I'm sure it'll blow up in our faces and they take, you know, d- uh, Jalen Waddle. So uh, <laughs> I-, I don't know. It-, it really does depend on how the board plays out in front of them because yeah. I do think there are some BPA guys where Tom Telesco would kind of throw out the tackle need a little bit in the first round. Um, but yeah, I, in this scenario where you have Horn, Sertan, uh, Waddle and Smith gone, I do think it's very likely in that situation, if they stay at 13, that he would go Darasol. Well, Smith was on the board. Um, I just, oh, yeah. So I guess yeah. that maybe, that maybe could be in play. Um, but I, I think if Sertan or Horn are on the board and Slater's not, I think that's probably going to be a corner. Um, I think mm-hmm. they would view those two as higher graded prospects than Christian Darasol. Um, uh, we'll see, man. I, it's such everything is such in the air right now because the, of the quarterback, the quarterback position, and how that's going to play out. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if one of those two corners are on the board. Um, but I, I think if those two corners are gone, then yeah, I, I think it is most likely Christian Darasaw. So I'll say, I'll say sixty percent. I'll say a little bit less than the two of you, but still kind of. Uh, likely at this point. So I, I do think it's going to be Christian Darasaw, um or one of those corners. So, um, all right, this is this was our last mock draft. This was our last pre-draft episode. Um, we are going to do a la- our live Q&A on Wednesday this week before the draft. So uh, if you're listening, please make sure and tune into that. Uh, we'll, set, we'll set up a Patreon post for you guys. That's how you can submit a question beforehand which will get a, a little longer of an answer from the three of us, a little bit more discussion. Um, we'll set up the super chat feature uh, as well. And then on Thursday, we are going to do our live stream show. 
Like I said, we have the jersey giveaway, so I hope one of you guys really likes Christian Derrissaw and is very happy with that <laughs> jersey when it happens. Um, other than that, we have a signed Philip Rivers hat that we will be giving away uh, courtesy of Tyler, and then we're also going to do some gift cards and T-shirts and maybe a, another hat or two. So lots of fun stuff headed your way. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, make sure and hit that subscribe button to our YouTube channel. Leave us a rating and review, and we do really appreciate the guys, and then we'll see you again on Wednesday. Rappaport is going to drop a trade up to seven bomb in like 20 minutes and make this episode irrelevant, <laughs> right? Probably. Definitely. That's how it works. <laughs> All right, guys. Bye.